What's up, divers? Welcome into the Deep Dive Fantasy Football Podcast, where I take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles. I'm your host, Brandon Gabor, and before we get started, remember you can follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive FF, on Instagram at Deep Dive Fantasy Football, and as always, check out the website, deepdivefantasyfootball.com. And with that being said, let's get to the content. All right, guys, I'm going to start off by saying I am super excited to do this podcast. I'm always excited to do the podcasts, but much like you guys, I am super stoked for this draft coming up, and this is my one and only With Trades 2020 NFL Mock Draft podcast. I'm basically going to give you guys what I think is going to happen. We all like to take our stab at the draft, and most of us have massive amounts of whiffs. And we get a few nice hits. I actually was looking at mock drafts for over the past about three, four years from Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, you know, just the main guys in the industry that pump out mock drafts. And I noticed that usually in the first round, once it's all said and done, most mock drafts on average only get five to six player to team matches correct in the first round so that's what we're shooting for just past six correct players being matched up with the team that drafts them i'm not as worried about the spot that they get drafted more so that i pair the right prospect with the right team but of course we're doing a mock draft so we're going with the numbers as well so first overall shouldn't surprise anyone joe burrow to the cincinnati Bengals. I mean, there's no reason to overthink it. The Bengals need a franchise quarterback. They're in a perfect spot to get one without having to trade up and mortgage their future. So as are you, I am pretty confident in this first pick. Second, once again with the consensus, Chase Young to the Washington Redskins. Ron Rivera has just taken over in Washington, and he has a chance to put together what could be a top five D-line because you're adding Chase Young to Montez Sweat, a first-rounder they drafted last year, and then Jonathan Allen and De'Aaron Payne, both very skilled defensive tackles. So that could be a monster front four. Then you got Landon Collins in the back. That's a good start for a great defense. So I think that they're going to go Chase Young. They're going to take the best player in the draft overall. Um, taking out the value of the quarterback position. Otherwise, it would be Joe Burrow in that statement. But yeah, the Washington Redskins to go Chase Young at two. Nothing new yet. This is where it gets interesting. See, the Lions, for me, is where I think, and most people say this as well, is where the draft kind of has a pivoting point, or a pivotal point in the draft, because the Lions could trade back. They have reports saying that they might. They could trade back with either the Dolphins or Chargers. Those are the mainstream um, ideas that people throw out there to get one of the quarterbacks. But the Giants are also trying to trade back. And so I actually have the Lions staying put, getting Jeffrey Okuda. I think that the whatever team is trading up to um, get a quarterback between Miami and the Chargers, I think it's going to be the Chargers. And I think, why wouldn't they just trade up to four with the Giants instead of the Lions? So also the Lions, if they trade back, they risk losing out on Akuda if for some reason New York wants to take Akuda at four. So the Lions stay put. They take Jeffrey Akuda. And then at four, I have the first trade. So the Giants are picking at four. 
And the two teams behind them are the Dolphins and the Chargers. The Dolphins need a quarterback. The Chargers need a quarterback. This is the thing that's intriguing to me. Nobody truly knows what quarterback Miami prefers except for Miami. But I think that the Chargers, and I think the Dolphins think this as well, and I think it's true, that the Chargers prefer Tua. So we've seen the Dolphins fail Drew Brees on a medical before, and I think the medical for Tua, even though they haven't been able to bring him in, I think it's a huge concern for Miami. And I think that all of the work that they're putting into Justin Herbert is just pointing to the fact that they actually do want to take Justin Herbert. And so that's the route I'm going with. But nobody knows for sure except for Miami. And that worries the Chargers because the Chargers, in my mock and what I think is reality, they want Tua. And they're not sure if all this Justin Herbert to Miami stuff is a smokescreen or if it's reality. So they want to make sure they get their guy. So they trade up two spots into the Giants slot to take Tua. And now they can sit him behind Tyrod just in case the medicals aren't completely 100%. They can let him sit and learn for a year behind Tyrod. Tyrod is a good enough player to be able to take that team where it needs to go, especially with their defense. And Tyrod's a lot better than people give him credit for. He took the Buffalo Bills, which had a much worse roster at the time, to the playoffs. So he could definitely get the Chargers there. And then if something happens, you could pull the plug on Tyrod, put Tua in, and he can save the day, much like he did when he started his legacy in Alabama for the national championship once they pulled Jalen Hurts. So that's the first trade. I have the Chargers moving up to four to grab Tua Tagovailoa. So then at five, the Dolphins, they were not worried about trading up to get their guy Justin Herbert because they knew the Chargers preferred Tua and they preferred Herbert. So they take Herbert at five. The rumors turn out to be true. And because they stayed put, they get to use their remaining picks to just help surround Justin Herbert with talent, which is great. Because when you have as many picks as the Dolphins do, and you could have tanked to get number one overall, if you use all those picks you accumulated to basically trade up and get what you could have gotten just by losing a couple games, that's kind of sucky as a fan. If I was a Dolphins fan, that would kind of bother me. I think that would not sit that well in the organization's eyes. Um, so I think that staying put and being able to retain their picks that they have accumulated and traded good players away for, especially in Laramie Tunzel and Minka Fitzpatrick, is a big deal. So they get to stay put, get Justin Herbert, and now they have plenty of picks to surround him with talent and set him up for success. At six, remember, I had the Giants trade back. So the Giants are at six now in the original Chargers pick, and I have them taking offensive lineman Makai Becton. So we all know that David Gettleman likes his hog mollies, right? Well, if I could say it this way, Makai Becton is the hoggiest of the mollies. He's 6'7", 370. In case you were not in touch with the combine, he put up insane numbers for his size. And he just, he's a monster. He's a complete monster. He's from Louisville. He is a grinder in the run game and he has a huge ceiling. He has the biggest ceiling because of his size and athletic traits. Um, he has the biggest ceiling out of all the offensive tackles in the big four. And that combined with his pure size is why I think David Gettleman goes to, to draft Makai Becton. And congratulations, Dave Gettleman. Here, I'll give you a clap. You finally did something right. Makai Becton, you would have taken him at four. You still get him at six because the two teams in between there are obviously taking quarterbacks. So that was a great trade back. You accumulated some extra picks for your team. Now at seven, 
And I actually have an article up that you guys can go ahead and look at um, with my NFL mock draft. And, um, you know, it's just a good way to document what I have. And sometimes people can't listen to podcasts. It's fine. Um, Go ahead and read the article. And so I have... And you can always reference it. It's easier to reference an article than it is a podcast to go back and check something. So for seven, I have the Carolina Carolina Panthers staying put and taking what I put CP Isaiah Simmons. And so I always put the position like OL Makai Becton. I put CP Isaiah Simmons and CP stands for chess piece because that's what he is. He can play safety, corner, linebacker. He can line up on the edge and rush the passer. That's the kind of player that you start a franchise with, and Rule loves his versatility, much like I do. So I think that it's very, very likely that they take Isaiah Simmons, especially since Keekly just retired, and now there's a huge hole at linebacker. I was tempted to grab one of the defensive tackles, mainly Javon Kinlaw, but I think Simmons is more of a defense-changing type of pick than Kinlaw is, just because of his range in terms of where you can play him. And I think he's going to have a massive impact on that team. And it's a good way to start your career with a pick like that um, for Matt Rule. So I have the Panthers taking Isaiah Simmons at 7. Now at 8, we have the Arizona Cardinals trading out. So originally the Cardinals are there and they have needs at offensive tackle, defensive tackle. Um, They did have wide receiver, obviously not anymore with DeAndre Hopkins. They have other holes too because they were not that great of a team. And some of those other holes were edge, linebacker, interior line as well, not just uh, offensive tackle. They could also use a cornerback or a safety. So they have plenty of holes, plenty of intriguing players that they like. So I think it's very realistic that they trade out of the spot. So who do I have taking that eighth pick from the Cardinals and trading up? Well, one of the only teams that has traded up so many times in the past five to ten years, the Atlanta Falcons, right? The Atlanta Falcons traded up for Julio Jones. They traded up for Desmond Trafont. They traded up for Caleb McGarry last year. Once again, right here, they trade up from 15 to 8, or 16, 16 to 8, with Arizona Cardinals just in front of the Jacksonville Jaguars who need a cornerback so that they can draft C.J. Henderson. So just like they traded up for Desmond Trafont, who's a corner, they just do the same thing here for C.J. Henderson. And one thing that I think makes this even more realistic is the Falcons GM and head coach are both on a decently warm hot seat. So they have to have a good season this year if they want to retain their jobs. So when you're a GM especially, and your job is handling the picks and the future of the franchise, if your job is in jeopardy, taking a few picks in the future and using them to get a better player to help you now is not a big deal at all because you're trying to keep your job. If you don't mortgage those future picks and you lose that on the guy that could have saved your job, then it doesn't matter because you're not there to use those picks the next year. So why not take the risk of using those picks from the future for the future drafts and using them to go get a guy that can save you your job and then you figure out the rest later. So I think that that is why they take CJ Henderson and it will cost them a bit. And it helps the Cardinals a lot too because they still have a lot of holes to fill. Um, they obviously filled quarterback with Kyler Murray, who I think, as a side note, is going to be great. And I love him in fantasy. He's my QB3. I haven't done my rankings uh, in terms of stats yet, so it's not like fully ranked out for me. But just off the top of my head, I just have Mahomes, Lamar, and then Kyler, and then Watson. So Kyler's a beast, but they need to still help him. And that defense needs a lot of work too. 
So the Falcons, that's our second trade, the Falcons and the Cardinals. Um, the Falcons take C.J. Henderson at 8. Then at 9, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're happy with their spot. They were willing to take C.J. Henderson, Derek Brown, or Javon Kinlaw at 9. And C.J. Henderson's obviously gone because of the trade-up. So instead, they take Derek Brown. I had a really difficult time choosing between Javon Kinlaw and Derek Brown, but I'm slotting them Derek Brown because of the recent reports from Jaguars camp. Even if you go on like a Bleacher Report or you just type in Derek Brown Jaguars on Google, there are so many more articles, so many more connections um, between Brown and the Jaguars than Kinlaw. So that's basically just what made me slot Derek Brown to them. And they need to rebuild that defensive line with Calais Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe leaving. Or Yannick technically hasn't left yet, but he should be leaving. He should get traded. So they have some holes on that D-line, and they can fill that with Derek Brown. Now at 10. So this is obviously rounding out the top 10. So far, we have two trades. We have the Chargers and Giants trade from 6 to 4. And then we have the Falcons to and Cardinals trade from 15 to 8. So we have one more trade to round out the top 10. The Browns trade out of 10, which has been rumored to be very possible, to 15 with the Broncos. The Broncos are um, in the news right now being portrayed to really, really want a receiver. And at 11 and 12, we have the Jets and the Raiders. And at 13, we have the Niners. All three of those teams are very likely to take a receiver. So if the Broncos want... First of all, first off, if they want any of the top three, they're not sure if they'll drop to them because they could go 11, 12, 13 in order between CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs. So not in that order, but just in general. So if they want one of the top three, they can't be sure that one's going to drop to 15. Not only that, but if they want their pick of the top three, they need, they need to jump all of those teams. So they do so by trading up with the Browns. So I'm going to start breaking it down because... The Browns actually have a lot of movement for them in this draft. Um, so if I was a Browns fan, I would actually love this. Um, and I'm not a Browns fan, so I'm not trying to make them look good. But I think that they could do a lot of great stuff in this draft. But the Broncos, if they truly prefer Rugs over Judy and Lamb to compliment Sutton, they have to get to 10. Because 11, uh, 11 is the New York Jets, and especially the New York Jets have been rumored to like specifically Henry Ruggs more than the other uh, the other two receivers in Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb. So they need to get in front of the Jets. This is the latest they can wait to do that. The Broncos want to see what Locke can do, right? And so what's the, a better way to do that by giving him another weapon? That's what I'm buying into. I'm buying in to the fact that, first off, they added A.J. Boye and Jarrell Casey to the defense this offseason. So it gives them more um, wiggle room in terms of making a luxury pick like wide receiver. And they really want to evaluate Drew Locke this year and see if he could be their future. You know, they've spent a lot of picks, at least I, I think so, in, in terms of quarterbacks uh, recently. And none of them have hit. And just recently they had, what was it, two years ago, Paxton Lynch. They took him, I don't I can't remember if it was the back of the first or the second round. But they took him and he fizzled out and didn't do anything. So... They finally have a chance to see if they have franchise quarterback. So I think that's basically what they're trying to do here is figure out if that is true. And I have the Browns trading back in the assumption that two of these realities are true. Either one, 
They make a trade for Trent Williams by giving up their second-round pick to the Redskins, and that fills their void at offensive tackle, which allows them to trade back. Or, and this is probably more likely, they are very high on offensive tackle Ezra Cleveland. Yes, I know, his last name's Cleveland. Ha ha ha. But for real, there's a lot of connections. That's another one. So, see, when I put this um, draft together, a lot of things that I like to do are go on specific websites that I know for teams. So, for example, I'm a Bucks fan, right? And so most of my knowledge is coming from things like Pewter Report, Bucks Nation, just all of these, TampaBayBuccaneers.com, all of these websites under the Bucks. So when I am feeling really uneasy about a certain spot in the draft, I will go look at three, four websites, multiple articles coming out of the camp of an NFL team to see you know, if it, if it influences my decision, obviously I don't buy everything that I read because a lot of things, a lot of teams put out smoke screens and they manipulate their media in order to benefit themselves in the draft. But there's also a lot of truth that you can find if, if you can get good at choosing what's true and what's deception. So I think that they really do like Ezra Cleveland. And so if that's true, they can get him a lot later than 10 and they know it. So they don't mind trading back. So that's one of two, the two situations that I think allows the Browns to trade out of 10 is either they trade their second for Trent Williams or their super high on Ezra Cleveland and want to draft him later. And so they accumulate some extra picks from the Broncos. That's the top 10. Now at 11. And this is crazy. I can't believe that I even have this happening because as I've seen it, I haven't seen this many offensive tackles slip. But as I have it right now, Makai Becton is the only one off the board. So at 11, the Jets, I really struggled with this pick because they could take Judy or Lamb and try and help Sam Darnold, or they can have their pick of any of the top three or three remaining of the top four offensive tackles between Jerry Judy, Tristan Wirfs, and Andrew Thomas. I think that they'll take Tristan Wirfs. They might take a different one, but I have them taking Tristan Wirfs. He's also the most versatile. They can play him at guard or tackle. He's also the most athletic out of the group and probably has the second highest ceiling after Makai Becton. So I think they take him to protect Sam Darnold. Also, help Le'Veon Bell in their run game game because Le'Veon Bell was actually... Um, a lot of people think he's lost, it, uh, lost a step and that he's not as good, but he actually had... Most of his yards after contact last year, he was just getting hit behind the line all the time, and he really just didn't get a chance to go anywhere. Kind of like a lot of people are super high on Cam Akers coming into this draft because I heard this crazy stat, and I haven't fact-checked it, but I mean, I've heard it and seen it, and people keep talking about it, so I assume it's true that Cam Akers had like 17 yards rushing before contact and he broke a thousand yards so all of his yards came after he got contacted behind the line of scrimmage that's insane and that's why a lot of people are high on cam Akers, despite his poor stats and his poor yards per carry and stuff like that is because he did everything for himself and that's kind of like what Le'Veon bell was doing last year um he's still a really good player so if they can fix that o-line Le'Veon bell is still the guy that he was in Pittsburgh. He might be 90% of it, but that's still one of the better backs in the league by far. So I think they take Tristan Wirfs. At 12, here we go. So Ruggs is gone. At 12, the Las Vegas Raiders take CeeDee Lamb. The Raiders continually back Derek Carr, so they have to give him a weapon if they want to prove to us 
and to the owners that they're right. They already have Josh Jacobs, they have Darren Waller, and they have a slot receiver in Renfro, but all of those guys are not Jacobs in terms of receiving, but Waller and Renfro and even Tyrell Williams are all complementary uh, receivers. None of them are true number ones. And when you have a whole bunch of complementary receivers, it's nice because you might have better options in terms of depth, but if you don't have a number one wide receiver, a true threat, then the number one corner on the other team is going to be guarding your guy who would be a great wide receiver too, but now he's seeing number one coverage and he stinks. And then your wide receiver three, who would be a, or your wide receiver two, who would be a great three, like Hunter Renfro, is seeing number two coverage. So it just makes it so much more difficult. By adding CeeDee Lamb, that is a true threat. So not only do you upgrade in just terms of adding a great receiver, but it also upgrades every other receiver because they're seeing easier coverage because he's going to be pulling the most coverage out of any of them. Um, I'm not sure if I explained that completely how I wanted to, but I think you know what I mean. So they add CeeDee Lamb, and now Carr has him on one as one outside receiver, Trent William, uh, Tyrell Williams as the other, Darren Waller as the tight end, Hunter Renfro in the slot, and Jacobs coming out of the backfield. That's a sick crew, and they actually have one of the better offensive lines. They're probably going to remain and be a, a top 10 offensive line next year. So they could actually have a really sneaky offense. And look, if Derek Carr is the answer and they continue to back him, he's going to have to produce once they make this pick. And if not, it shows them, all right, it's time to move on. John Gruden signed a massively long deal. Um, it was 10 years. I think he's going into his third year now. So he has plenty of time to find another quarterback. So I think that he wants to figure that out. And it's not going to hurt him at all. So I have them going CeeDee Lamb. Then at 13, Jerry Judy goes to the Niners. So 11, the Jets pick, and 13 were both really tough for me. I keep struggling when I have to determine whether a team that needs a wide receiver is going to take a wide receiver or a different position because of the depth at the wide receiver position in this draft. So I have the 49ers taking Jerry Judy. It was really tough because it was between him and Javon Kinlaw. Javon Kinlaw is sliding. He's outside of the top 10 right now. He's about to be, now he's going to be outside the top 13 because the 49ers were the only spot in this range where I think he could go because they lost to Forrest Buckner and being able to replace him with a cheaper and possibly more talented defensive lineman in Kinlaw would be a great upgrade. But their defense is solid. Even if they lose to Forrest Buckner, it's still going to be one of the better defenses in the league. And Jimmy Garoppolo is getting a lot of heat from some NFL fans um, that are uh, 49ers fans and also people outside of the the 49ers fan base. So they want to give Garoppolo a chance to prove himself. And also, it's not just about that. I mean, you have George Kittle and you have Debo Samuel, but you lost Emmanuel Sanders. What else do you have in the receiving game after that? I mean, yeah, you're a ground-and-pound team that likes to run the ball and rely on your defense, but you need some options. And Judy is a route runner who is always open. And if you can add somebody that's always open, then it's always going to help your offense move the chains, keep drives alive. So I think that the 49ers ultimately choose to take Jerry Judy over Javon Kinlaw just because he's my wide receiver one in this class, even though he's going three in my mock draft. 
because a lot of times with wide receiver, you have to kind of find a fit because different teams need different types of receivers and want their receivers to do different things. A lot of people say it's like building a basketball team. Do you want your point guard? Do you need a center, a small forward, yada, yada. You need someone fast, big, strong. You know what I'm talking about. So Jerry Judy goes to the Niners. This is exactly what the Bucks are praying for. And I can say this as a Bucks fan because Jedrick Wills and Andrew Thomas are both on the board. I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking Jedrick Wills because Jedrick Wills is the best pass protector out of the four as of right now. He might not have a, as big of a ceiling as Wirfs or Becton, but the Bucks are in win-now mode. Brady signed a two-year deal. They have Godwin's contract coming up soon. They just re-signed JPP for two years and Dominican Sue for one year. Shaq Barrett is on the franchise tag. So a lot of our team, or a lot of the Bucks, Buccaneers team, is predicated on this year, next year. They have to win. They have to, to get it right. They need to make it work. Wills is the most ready plug-and-play, and he's still very good. He's probably going to be a top offensive tackle in the league by the end of his rookie season. So I'm not worried about his ceiling or anything like that. He still has a good ceiling. It's just because he's not as big or athletic as the other two between Becton and Wirfs. But he's also probably the safest. So I have the Buccaneers taking Jedrick Wills to protect Brady and secure that uh, that tackle spot for them. So now I have the Broncos. Remember, they traded from 15 to 10 with the Browns. So the Browns, as of right now, hold that 15th pick. But... Like I told you, I have the Browns moving around a lot. So they move back from 10 to 15 with the Broncos. Then they get a call from the Dolphins. The Dolphins are sitting at 18. They get a call from the Dolphins. The Dolphins want to move up from 18 to 15 because guess who's still on the board right now? Andrew Thomas. And remember, the Browns really like Ezra Cleveland. And there's a very high possibility that they trade for Trent Williams. So I have them trading for Trent Williams, trading a second for him, uh, from Washington, he fills in at offensive tackle immediately and fixes that left tackle spot for um, for Baker Mayfield. And he's got a good two, three years in him for sure because um, he's only 31 and offensive linemen actually usually last longer than defensive positions. So 31 is not too old. Um, and then they are going to trade back to 18 because the guy that they're trying to trade back for that they really like, Ezra Cleveland, he's probably going to be there at 18. So And they can even develop him behind Trent Williams. So the Dolphins trade up from 18 to 15 and grab Andrew Thomas. Now they have Justin Herbert, franchise quarterback, and Andrew Thomas, franchise left tackle. So this is great for the, um, for the Browns because they grabbed a bunch of picks. But it's also great for the Dolphins because I don't have them giving up their uh, pick in the 20s in order to move up three spots with the Browns. They only have to give up a second rounder and possibly a third or fourth later on, either in this draft or the future draft. So the Browns are still getting good picks out of it, and the Dolphins are still getting their three first rounders to play with. So I have them taking Andrew Thomas at 15, and now all the offensive tackles are on the board. So in what I've in the situation that I've had going so far, the three wide, uh, the top three consensus wide receivers go in the top thirteen, and it causes a drop in the offensive tackles. So two offensive tackles make it outside of the top thirteen because of the receivers, 
and get picked at 14 and 15. So now, by the time we get to 15, the top three receivers consensus are gone. The top four offensive tackles consensus are gone. And the only person that's really left in terms of, wow, how is he still on the board, is Javon Kinlaw. And he goes here at 16. Remember, the Falcons originally owned 16, but they traded up with the Cardinals to grab C.J. Henderson. Well, now the Cardinals are at 16, and they take Javon Kinlaw. This is a dream scenario for the Cardinals. Because remember, I told you they had holes at offensive tackle, interior offensive line, edge, linebacker, um, interior defensive line, safety. So they had a lot of good options. And they just missed out on the tackles, but it caused Javon Kinlaw to fall. So they were looking at the trenches mainly between offensive line and defensive line. And they get one. Javon Kinlaw, he's great. And they also gained a first rounder next year from the Atlanta Falcons from that trade back from 8 to 16 when they grabbed C.J. Henderson. So that's awesome for the Cardinals. And they get an amazing player to start helping their defense reset and help their team get back to the playoffs. Now at 17, I have the Dallas Cowboys. And this was a, a kind of tough pick for me. They have two huge needs, corner and edge. So with C.J. Henderson and obviously Jeffrey Akuda off the board, I don't really see them taking a corner this high. Some people are speculating that Cesar Ruiz, I hope I'm saying his name right, the interior offensive line might be the pick here at 17, or that the Cowboys might try to trade back and take Cesar Ruiz later on at like 20 or whatnot because of Travis Fredericks retiring. But I have them staying put at 17. They don't find a trade partner, and they take um, edge rusher Caleb Von Chason from LSU. So they get to add him or put him on the other side across from Demarcus Lawrence, and that is a pretty sick duo. And they also just added um, Gerald McCoy on their defensive line too. So they have a pretty nice defensive line going into the year now. And Caleb Von is a great pick, and he fills a need. So why not stay there and grab him? And you can worry about offensive line later. They still have a great O-line. Now at 18, it was the Dolphins, but the Dolphins traded with the Browns, who had 15 from the Broncos trade. So now the Browns are at 18, and they finally get their guy, Ezra Cleveland. So they successfully, and quite masterfully, I might add, Manipulate the board to their exact liking. They traded back from 10 to 15 with the Broncos and got a second and third round pick from the Broncos, which, by the way, that might sound like a lot, but the Broncos have three third rounders. I didn't even realize this until recently. They have three third rounders and two fourth rounders this year. And then the Browns traded back from 15 to 18 with the Dolphins and got the Dolphins' first second round pick in this draft. So that means overall the Browns traded back from 10 to 18. 18. So they traded back eight spots and out of it, they got two second rounders and a third rounder and they still get the guy they wanted, Ezra Cleveland, who they are reportedly very high on. And there's a million articles connecting it. So it might be something you haven't heard. I didn't hear it till recently, but it's picking up a lot of steam. So that's basically what I have for them. And remember, I told you I have them giving up a second for Trent Williams. And actually, I had one of two scenarios between them being high on Ezra Cleveland or trading for Trent Williams, but it's also possible that they do both, and that's what I have them doing here. Now, at 19, we have the Las Vegas Raiders' second pick. The Raiders are tough for me to pin down. Last year, they took Cleland Farrell, who I did like, for sure, but not 
as high as they took him. They took him at four. And I'm not necessarily surprised that they took Clellan Farrell in general, just that they took him that high, especially that they took him over Josh Allen. But we're not going to get into that. We're just talking about mock drafts this year. I'm not evaluating the GMs or whatnot. They had a good overall draft. That was still a crazy pick to me, and it doesn't look that good. But they made up plenty of good picks last year later on. So they are basically uh, what I'm trying to – the point I'm getting across is that they're a hard team to pin down for me at least. But I feel like other people may feel this way because they just have their guys, and they kind of disregard value, which you can see in that Pharaoh pick. They find guys of good character, good work ethic, and they'll take them wherever they want to take them. They're not worried about if people are going to think it's a reach or not. But fortunately, I found someone that fit a need, is not a reach, and would be great in their defense. And I think out of all the options, is a great, is a the best value that they could use here at 19. See, they could go cornerback, safety, or linebacker. But I think Xavier McKinney is a blue chip guy that they will love, and he could form a really nice young tandem in the secondary between the safeties with him being next to Jonathan Abram, which they took last year in the first round. So I have them taking Xavier McKinney at 19. Now at 20, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars. Remember, at 9, I have them taking Derek Brown. They help solidify that D-line once again. They also had Telvin Smith um, retire recently. So here, I have them fill that hole with Patrick Queen. So they do want to add talent around Minshew, and they do want to evaluate Minshew and use this year to figure out, much like I was talking about with the um, addition of CeeDee Lamb in Oakland being the perfect way to finally figure out, is Derek Carr the guy? Are we going to move forward with him or not? Same kind of thing here is just much earlier in the guy's career for Gardner Minshew in Jacksonville. Because he did pretty good last year, but he was a super late pick. They didn't invest much in him. So they can really be critical in how they evaluate him. They don't have to worry about backlash from him being a high pick and him not turning out. So they give him give him extra chances over and over. So they can properly evaluate him. And... They do want to figure out if he's the guy, like I said. So some of you guys may be saying, okay, what about wide receiver? What about offensive line? Why don't they want to add all these pieces? The thing is, I think, yes, they could have gone offensive line earlier, but I think they prefer Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, or CJ Henderson there. And while I do think wide receiver is tempting for them here at 20, it's a super deep draft. And this wide receiver class is being regarded as the deepest class since the Mike Evans uh, 2014 class that had him, Odell, Brandon Cooks, Sammy Watkins, Kelvin Benjamin, Allen Robinson, uh, a bunch of other guys, Jarvis Landry. So since that class, this is the, the next deepest one since then. And that, that was six, seven years ago now, six years ago. So it's a big deal. And if they can get guys like that in the second round, then why not use this pick on a premium a defensive player that can be a foundation of your defense going forward in Patrick Queen. And not only that, but there's not that many good linebackers in this draft. It's pretty much Isaiah Simmons, if you count him as a linebacker, and then Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray, and that's pretty much it for a linebacker. Everything else is just rotational guys, guys that will play specific roles, but not guys that you basically can just keep on the field and let them be the basically quarterback of your defense. So the Jacksonville Jaguars take Patrick Queen here at 20. Now at 21, the Eagles, 
I have them taking Jeff Gladney. So their biggest needs are corner and wide receiver. But here's the thing. I know that they already traded for Darius Slay. And oh, come on, Brandon. You know, they took Darius Slay. They filled their corner uh, spot. Why not give them a receiver? Because they really need a receiver. And everyone talks about it. They're open about it. But here's the thing. Defense wins championships. And much like I was just talking about the Jaguars, seeing the value in this wide receiver class and how you can get a good one later on so they uh, turn their sights towards a different position, the Eagles do the same thing here. Jeff Gladney would be a perfect fit in their system, and the wide receiver class is very deep. And while corner is... It has good depth. It's not as deep as the wide receiver class. It has good depth, but not as many great guys like the wide receiver class has. I still think they lean Gladney. And now, in one off, one off season, this entire position group looks completely remade. Because you went from Sidney Jones guarding wide receiver ones to Darius Slays on the wide receiver one. You could put Jeff Gladley, Gladney on the wide receiver two. And now Sidney Jones is your cornerback three. That's actually a sick secondary, and it's perfect timing for that secondary to get back on track in Philly because they have to deal with emerging rookies like Darius Slayton and Terry McLaurin, and they also have the Cowboys, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, so who's rising and coming into his third year. So it's perfect time for them to solidify those corner spots. Now at 22, we have the Minnesota Vikings. They have pick 22, and they have pick 25, right? So they have to figure out between the guys that they like, which one is more likely to drop to their 25 spot so they can figure out which person they want to take first at 22. So you have to obviously look at the picks between their two picks. So you have the Patriots at 23 and the Saints at 24. Both of those teams are much more likely, in my opinion, and probably in the opinion of the Vikings, especially in this mock draft, they're more likely to take a receiver than they are a corner. And since those are the two main needs of the Vikings, the Vikings are going to take the receiver first, thinking that the corner can drop to them. So, and we'll see if that works out. At 22, the Vikings take wide receiver Justin Jefferson. He's the fourth receiver off the board. And they really, really need a receiver because, well, they don't need as much as a corner, but they need a receiver because they obviously lost Diggs right? And so now they have Adam Thielen, they added Tajay Sharp, but outside of that, their wide receiver core is really, really hurting. So Justin Jefferson would be the perfect guy. He's coming off 18 touchdowns last year and almost 1,600 yards. Is a national champion, uh, champion, and so he's a very proven receiver. I was a lot higher on him than most other people before the combine. Now everyone is super high on him, probably a little higher than me now, because it's gotten a little out of control. Some people are calling him like their wide receiver one or wide receiver two in this class. I think that's a little too much, but Justin Jefferson is a great receiver, and my comp for Justin Jefferson was Marvin Jones, um, and I'm talking about like prime Marvin Jones, Moss and people like Marvin Jones, because he's never gotten the crazy amount of targets, he might not have as great stats that we would want to see in terms of being a great receiver to compare a incoming prospect to. But Marvin Jones is actually sick, and I think Jefferson is going to be a higher target version of, of Marvin Jones. Um, so that'll be a great pickup for the Vikings. And now at 23, they're hoping that their corner 
that they are very high on is going to drop to 25. At 23, the Patriots don't take a corner. They take A.J. Epinesa, um, who plays on the edge. I find myself deciding between Jalen Rager and Epinesa for the Patriots, but this is going to be a recurring theme in this mock draft because of the depth of the position at wide receiver and the lack of of depth at the position of the other position of need for the team that's making the draft pick, they go that direction. So the Patriots, they need edge, and they also need a receiver. But because receiver is deep, they go with AJ Epinesa because him and Yitor Grossmatos are pretty much the only two very um, highly regarded edge defenders left, and they're not even as highly regarded as like you know other guys like Caleb on Chase on or Chase Young, obviously, but. They are definitely a tier above the remaining. So they take AJ Epinesa. Now at 24, I have the Saints taking linebacker Kenneth Murray. The Saints could be tempted by Rager here too, much like the Patriots, but opt to strengthen their defense. They will do fine finding receiver later if they go that route. After all, the Saints did find Michael Thomas in the second round, and even though this isn't a receiver, he's pretty good in the receiving game, they found Alvin Kamara in the third round. So they've shown that they can find very good skill players in the later rounds. So they're going to try and do that again. They take linebacker Kenneth Murray here to help solidify that defense and make that final push while they still have Drew Brees towards the Super Bowl. Now at 25, if you've noticed, nobody took corner at 23 and 24. So the Vikings, the corner that they like falls to them. But before I get to that, I just want to say that if the Vikings do not take Justin Jefferson and he is on the board at 23 for the Patriots, I think it's very, very likely the Patriots take Justin Jefferson because I think a lot of teams have him as a notch above Jalen Rager and enough of a notch where they'll look for his services and even more confident about the Saints taking Justin Jefferson. If the Saints is there, if the Saints have a chance to get Justin Jefferson at 24, I would be shocked if Justin Jefferson does not go at 24 to the Saints. If he makes it past the Saints, I that's probably going to be one of the bigger shocks to me in this draft. So now, back to the pick at 25 for the Vikings. I have them taking Christian Fulton. So Mike Zimmer has proven to us that he has a type of cornerback that he likes, and much in the mold of Xavier Rhodes, it's the big, strong, lengthy corner. And the Vikings lost multiple corners this offseason, and so they find themselves extremely thin at that position. So that's why they go Christian Fulton here at 25. They thought about grabbing him at 22, but they figured he could drop past the Patriots and Saints. And Justin Jefferson, like I was talking about earlier, wouldn't make it past both of those teams. So their evaluation, the Vikings' evaluation of the other team's needs in this draft pays off highly, and they get both of their guys. Because if they took Fulton first, they probably don't get Jefferson. So it's a good thing to know who do the other teams around us like. Now at 26, we have the Miami Dolphins third and final pick of the first round. Unless I have them trading up. Just kidding, I don't. So at 26, I have them taking Cesar Ruiz, Cesar Ruiz, however you want to say it. I have him going to the Miami Dolphins at 26. So if I'm a Dolphins fan at this point, I'm stoked because offensive line, while it may not be a pretty pick, it's what lets the skill positions look pretty to begin with. The Dolphins have now drafted Herbert and an offensive tackle who can play left tackle for them to protect Herbert's blindside and Andrew Thomas. And now they get 
Cesaro Ruiz, who you can play at either guard spot or center. So he's very versatile. So now they added two great linemen to help protect Burrow. And the rest of the draft, they can focus on giving... Or not Burrow, sorry, Herbert. Now the rest of the draft, they can focus on giving Herbert weapons and building their defense. Ruiz, like I said, is a movable piece between center or guard. So he's a great addition to the team. And if this happens, I applaud you, Miami. This is how you draft. You give, you build from the trenches, and you make sure you have a solidified O-line in front of a rookie quarterback. Especially because coming into the NFL, it's scary for a lot of guys. And if you're a rookie quarterback, especially one that doesn't seem as outspoken and um, alpha dog-like, um, like Justin Herbert, he's more on the um, passive side. It seems like he's somebody that might be affected by how other people think about him. And so if he got off to a really bad start, I would be really worried about Justin Herbert and his development. But if you give him a good O-line and give him more time, there's a better likelihood that he just is successful faster and continues to develop in the NFL. So I think this is the perfect way to do that for the Miami Dolphins. Now at 27, I have the Seattle Seahawks taking... Yuter Grossmatos. So Cesar Ruiz went off the board just before them. And if he was on the board and they had to pick between Grossmatos and Cesar Ruiz, I would really hate having to pick one of those because that's a tough call. And I think Seattle would have a tough call with that as well. Um, so since Ruiz is off the board, it was basically between Yuter Grossmatos and Josh Jones, the basically fifth consensus offensive tackle. Um, the top four are a consensus top four, just the order of the four is not consensus, but I think Josh Jones for most teams is offensive tackle five. So I had to choose between those two, but the reason that I leaned towards Gross Matos is because one, he's a freak athlete and has a crazy, um, body in terms of length and strength and everything. And Seattle is very intrigued by that. And they usually seem to prioritize defense and honestly, this isn't a great thing, um, but Russell Wilson is a magician, and because of how good he is at just surviving through bad offensive lines, Seattle is kind of prone to ignore their O-line problem um, more than they should. So I think that when they have to choose between O-line and uh, somebody that they see as a great edge defender, they're going to take the edge defender. Hopefully, they can develop him better than last year's first-round pick, LJ Collier. So now... We're nearing the end of the draft. We have the Baltimore Ravens picking at 28. This is a very interesting one. I actually did not even think that this was a possibility for me to mock this. But the more I think about it, the more I think of how amazing it would be to see this. So the Baltimore Ravens, we've seen reports that the Ravens want to make their offense undefendable. Um, and you can see that by comments made by the GM. So with Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown already burning everyone with speed, it's hard enough to guard them. Add Jalen Rager, who is a speedy guy himself, but comes with mad hops, upper body strength, ball skills, that seems pretty undefendable. You have Jalen Rager and Marquise, Marquise Brown burning everyone, and then you also have Lamar to worry about. That sounds like video game stuff right there to me. And another thing, Jalen Rager ran a lot slower than everyone was thinking. He ran in the 4-4s, I believe, 4-4-5 in the combine. But he also put on a lot of weight 
for the combine. He bulked up like seven to nine pounds. He just did his pro day, um, and they have videos of the scouts, multiple scouts, not just one, doing hand timers and being pretty similar in terms of accuracy between themselves. Their inner observer accuracy was pretty good um, because they timed on his first 40 at his filmed pro day that Jalen Rager was sending out to teams that requested. He ran a 4-2-8, like one of them timed him at 4-2-8 and one timed him at 4-2-2 on the handheld. And then he did it again, and once again he was timed at 4-2-2, 4-2-8, except it swapped people this time. So one person clocked him at 4-2-8 and 4-2-2 one time, the other person did the same thing, just reverse order. So he's actually probably faster at playing speed than what we saw in the combine, and that supports what we see on film, because he looks super fast on film. That's why everyone was shocked by his slow time, or slower time relative to what we were expecting in the NFL combine. So I really just hope this happens. Fingers crossed, because this would be amazing to see. I would love to see Lamar ripping that ball to Rager and Brown. And then they still have, um, they still have Miles Boykin, and Mark Andrews, obviously. So that's a pretty sick offense. Now at 29, we have the Tennessee Titans. The Titans just lost Jack Conklin, their offensive tackle, but they're thrilled because his replacement falls all the way to 29 for them. They take Josh Jones. They keep that offensive line for Derrick Henry and Ryan Danahill. It should be a priority, and I think this is a pretty easy pick for them. Now at 30, you have the Green Bay Packers. I have the Packers going wide receiver. They're likely to go wide receiver, cornerback, or offensive tackle. But I think the talent at wide receiver outweighs the talent at corner and offensive tackle. And I'm not going the depth route at this point because the wide receiver that's there, I think they see a lot more potential in and faster impact in terms of win percentage. And he can just help their team win more games faster than grabbing a corner or offensive tackle that's still on the board. So I have them going Denzel Mims. He would be the perfect um, receiver to be across from Devontae Adams. He brings size, speed, uh, strength. He's a decent route runner. He's going to get better at it with proper um, coaching. And Green Bay's never really had trouble coaching receivers up. So I think that Mims is going to be a very, very realistic pick for the Green Bay Packers at 30. And here's another thing. Mims is a tantalizing prospect who, since the combine especially, has been rising, and I don't think he gets out of the first round. This is probably later than he will go in the NFL draft, but 30 is pretty close to the back, uh, outside of the first round. So I had to make sure I got him in the first round here. And also, the Packers really need that second wide receiver because you probably didn't know this, but they were in the bottom half of passing last year. Yeah, that's right. That's why I think Mims is the pick, because you have Aaron Rodgers, and you're outside of the top 16 in passing. That's insanity. you got to give him some help, so they do that here at 30. Now at 31, don't think I forgot about trades, because we got one right here. 31, the original pick, is the second pick in the first round for the 49ers. I have them trading out of this pick for a team that is obviously trading up for what position? Quarterback. Of course, you want that fifth-year option. So the team that traded up for Jordan Love has recently added a veteran quarterback, has a very solid young defense, 
has a great young offensive line, has good cap space. Have you figured it out yet? The Indianapolis Colts. They may have added Rivers, but he's on a one-year deal. And clearly, they do not have Jacoby Brissett in their future plans. So they have to be looking at a quarterback in this draft unless they're going to go into next offseason without one. Jordan Love would be a perfect quarterback for the Colts to mold and let learn under the future Hall of Famer. That's another debate in Philip Rivers while he's there. Jordan Love would follow the Mahomes path. So many people like to compare him to Mahomes. I don't, but so many people do. And I mean, this is a similar path to what Mahomes had. He comes from a smaller school. He gets drafted not inside the top 10 of an NFL draft, despite being a quarterback. And he sits a year and then gets to come out and let it rip. And, um, sorry, not Mahomes. Love does have a pretty live arm. It's just the decision-making that is a huge, huge difference in my mind between him and Mahomes. And that's why I hate the Mahomes comparison. But um, loves, Love goes to the Colts here at 31. This move will cost the Colts heavily. But the fifth-year option and making sure they get Love instead of some other team trading up and grabbing him or just picking him in the second round is worth it. Meanwhile, the 49ers trade back about half a round with seven to eight prospects still on the board that they would have been okay with taking here at 31. So a couple of the guys that out of the seven and eight that the 49ers were willing to take here at 31, a couple of those guys will no doubtedly be there at their next pick. So it's a win-win. The Colts get their guy and the 49ers get some extra picks and they're still going to get one of the guys that they wanted there. And to round out the first round of the 2020 NFL Draft, we have the Kansas City Chiefs selecting DeAndre Swift. Oh no, do not tell me. Oh man, the most explosive offense in the league and the Super Bowl winners just added the best running back in this class. First off, side note, Fantasy football goldmine. Now back to the draft. The Chiefs are looking unstoppable even more than before. The other way I could see them going would be cornerback, but to be picking at 32 and be able to get the number one guy at a position is ridiculous, and that's what they just did. They got DeAndre Swift. He's a great receiver, great runner, fits their scheme. He would be the perfect uh, receiving back for them, and... Frankly, that is just impossible to guard. You can't guard Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, who they brought back on a one-year deal, Travis Kelsey, Miko Hardman, and now DeAndre Swift with Mahomes as the distributor of the football. That's insane. So that rounds out my first round and only round mock draft for 2020. I... Am recording this just in case any rumors come into play, and this might seem off because a lot of times rumors get released like a day or two before the draft, and everyone's mock drafts change. Um, I am releasing or recording this Saturday morning, so that's just a, a timestamp for you guys. So I'm just gonna run through real quick one to thirty-two. At one, Joe Burrow, Bengals. Two, Chase Young, Redskins. Three, Jeffrey Akuda. Detroit Lions, four from a trade-up, Tua to the Chargers, five, Herbert to the Dolphins, six, 
from the Giants trading back with the Chargers, Makai Becton. Seven, Isaiah Simmons to the Panthers. Eight, the Falcons trade up with the Cardinals for C.J. Henderson. Nine, Derek Brown goes to the Cardinals, uh, the Jaguars, excuse me. Ten, Henry Ruggs goes to the Broncos after they trade up with the Browns. Eleven, Tristan Wirfs goes to the Jets. Twelve, CeeDee Lamb to the Raiders. Thirteen, Jerry Judy to the Niners. Fourteen, Jedrick Wills to the Bucks. Fifteen, Andrew Thomas to the Dolphins who trade up to 15 with the Browns, who got that pick from the trade-up with the Broncos. 16, Javon Kinlaw goes to the Cardinals from their trade-back with the Falcons. 17, Caleb Von Chason goes to the Cowboys. 18, Ezra Cleveland goes to the Browns from their trade-back from 15 with the Dolphins. Xavier McKinney goes to the Raiders at 19. 20, Patrick Queen to the Jaguars. 21, Jeff Gladney to the Eagles. 22, Justin Jefferson to the Vikings. 23, A.J. Epinesa to the Patriots. 24, Kenneth Murray to the Saints. 25, Christian Fulton to the Vikings. 26, Cesar Ruiz to the Dolphins. 27, Yatur Grossmatos to the Seattle Seahawks. 28, Jalen Rager to the Baltimore Ravens. 29, Josh Jones to the Tennessee Titans. 30, Denzel Mims to the Green Bay Packers. 31 from a trade-up with the 49ers, Jordan Love to the Indianapolis Colts. And to round out the first round, at 32, DeAndre Swift to the Kansas City Chiefs. That's all I have for you guys. Those are my projections. Remember, we're shooting for at minimum six correct matchups between player and the team that drafts them. Let's hope we get six, and each one after that is money. Let's get it. Have a great one, guys, and cannot wait for the NFL draft. Peace.